0: Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Personal conflict. Don't you just love personal conflict? Um, If there's one thing that this passage that we're looking at teaches us, It's that no one is immune from being in conflict. Amen? Um, Here we have two of the greatest church fathers, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. They are dividing over an issue, a conflict that they cannot resolve. And so, you know, when Jesus planted the church, when he established the church, Uh, one of his greatest desires was that his people would come together, a a body that was filled with diverse interests, a body that's filled with diverse giftings and talents and desires, because when they, they come together and they have unity, you know what happens in all the diversity? It glorifies God. It reveals who God is when we're walking in his spirit in the different ways that he's created us. And he wants his church to be a close-knit uh, fellowship with meaningful and loving relationships. And if you've been tracking with us in the New Testament that we're reading through, the plan that we're reading through, if, if you don't know this, our church is reading through the New Testament, and we have a plan. And this week in the plan, chapter John chapter 13 uh, was was one of the passages that we read, and in that passage, this is where Jesus is. It's his last hours. He's leaving the church. And what does he do? It says at the meal, he gets up, he dresses himself to serve his disciples. How? The king washes the feet of his servants. And it's a beautiful picture. And what Jesus is saying in this picture is that in my kingdom, the great serve and love one another sacrificially. And John 13 verse 34, he says this, a new commandment I give to you. He says, it's a, this what I'm about to share with you is a new commandment. Now, why is it new? What's the old command? If there's something new, there's something old. The old commandment was do unto others what? As you would have them do to you, do unto you, you. That's the old commandment. He says, I'm giving you a new commandment. He says, and this is what it is, that you love one another just as I have loved loved you. That's the new commandment. Love, don't do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Do unto others as I have done unto you, as I have loved you. And you you also are to love one another. And so the true church, Christ's true church is to sacrificially love one another as Christ has loved us. That's how Jesus loved us, sacrificially when he died for us in many ways. But but ultimately when he died for us on the cross for our sins. And, and, you know, that sounds so good, doesn't it? Love one another. Don't you want to be in a fellowship that just loves one another? Especially when it's coming this way, when I'm getting the love. But here's the problem. When we get together and have a close-knit fellowship and, and you, we start getting close to one another, we, we begin to see each other's flaws. We, we begin to see the rough edges that we all have. In other words, what I'm trying to say is that all of us are difficult. Do you realize that you can be difficult at times? If you don't realize that, that in and of itself is difficult. We, we all can be difficult. We all can be annoying. Uh, I, I know that about myself. I know that I can be extremely annoying. And all of us also have the potential, we all have the potential to wound one another because of our rough edges. Sometimes it's intentional, sometimes it's not intentional. And, and therefore, because there's a potential for conflict, there are many who would claim to be a part of the church who who's decide to either stay at an arm's distance, or just to stay away totally, because they don't want to have to deal with conflict that comes when you get into relationships. Now, if you're, let me just say this, if you are a person that stays away from, from fellowship because you don't want to engage in conflict, then actually you're disobeying the Lord, and so there's a conflict going this way. And I'm not going to preach a whole message on that, but I could. We, we've got, you know, Jesus wants our, our, the body to be united together in close relationships, but when we do that, conflict's happen. Now let me uh, share what conflict is again. Last week we had the definition. Conflict is a difference in opinion or purpose that frustrates someone else's goals. Think about that. Anytime you're in a conflict, that person is probably frustrating you in an area that you don't that that you have this goal. You want peace. You come home, right? You come home from work, you want to chill out and everyone's coming at you, there's a conflict that arises because you want peace and they're not, they're not allowing you to have it. James 4, chapter one, uh, verses 1 through 2 says this, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You have these wars going on inside. You, you have something that you're desiring. Verse 2 says, you desire and do not have. You can't have the very thing that you're desiring, so you murder. You, you lash out. You, you covet. You want something that God hasn't given you maybe, and you cannot obtain it. So you fight and quarrel. And so what What we, we this passage shows us is that everybody has the potential to frustrate someone else's goals. In this passage, what's going on? Barnabas is frustrated with Paul because Barnabas's goal is to bring John Mark onto the mission field with him. And what is Paul saying? No. But Paul's frustrated too because Barnabas won't leave it alone. He's like, no, we've got to bring uh, John Mark. And Paul's like, no. Remember what he did to us last time? And so there's this conflict that they cannot resolve. And what happens? They divide. And since disagreements and conflicts in the church are inevitable, what we did last week was we we began exploring what is the right way to deal with conflicts. Because we all have... them. Did anyone... Let me ask you this. Did anyone this past week between last Sunday and and today have a conflict with someone? Can I I put your hand in the air? Okay. My hand's in the air. Okay. I got some... All right. I had some conflicts this week. And, and I had to think about the message that I preached last week. But you know, there's some wrong ways to handle conflict, aren't there? And we talked about this last week. If you didn't, weren't here, uh, the message is online. You can watch that. But there's uh, two, two ways that we often deal with conflict. Escape responses, which is called uh, peace faking. We try to escape. Maybe we deny that there's an issue or maybe we uh, withdraw or flee from it. So that's the escape response or the attack response. You're like, man, I'm going in. I'm going to attack this person. It's called peace breaking. It's going with the wrecking ball and just going in there and just trying to destroy your your opposition. And neither of these techniques are the way that Jesus wants us to, to operate. These all fall short of loving one another as Christ loved the church. Jesus does not use these techniques on us, does he, in order to win us? So there is a biblical God-honoring, Christ-glorifying way that we began to look at last week. It's from Ken Sandy's book, The Peacemaker, and we began looking at what he calls the four G's of resolving personal conflict. The first one was this. Does anyone remember? Glorify God, right, okay? So the first thing is that we begin with God. We move from being me-centered and us-centered of what's going on here. We look up and we ask a question. God. God. What do you want in this? God, what will glorify you in this? So that's the first question we ask. Secondly, we get the what? We get the log out of our eye. That's the second thing. We examine ourselves. We haven't gone to the other person yet. We've gotten, we make sure we're, we're looking this way right. Now we're looking at ourselves. We examine ourselves. We look at how have we contributed to this issue And if we have fallen short and we're aware of it, we own it. We own it before we go to the other person. Which leads us to G3, which is gently restore. Okay, so you've you've looked at God, you've looked at yourself, your heart's in a, a humble place, and you're going to restore. Look at the two words, gently restore. We've got to go on a spirit of gentleness. We talked about this a few weeks ago about Jesus. How does he come to his church? He says, come to me, all you are weary, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Remember that? That's how Jesus deals with his flock when he's addressing them, when he's calling them, us to himself. And that's the way that we are to go to our brother or our sister. Remember that when we were in rebellion with Jesus, what did he do? He didn't avoid us. He didn't deny that there was a sin issue. He didn't go, "Ah, no, he didn't deny it. And he also didn't rub our faces in it. He didn't wrecking ball us in those situations. No, he gently drew us. And that's how he, even, even today, if you've come to Christ and Jesus is dealing with you in a sin, he gently draws us to himself. And what's the purpose? To restore, gently Restore. That's the purpose that Jesus that, that we're talking about here this morning. We want to have restoration with brothers and sisters when we have conflict. And uh the conflict or our sin is the thing that's separating us from one another. And, and we want to get that out of the, out of the way. And so this morning I want to look at a passage that might be very familiar to many of us this morning. It's Matthew chapter 18. Um, it's often known as the church discipline passage. It's got, it's got this bad rap that, you know, if you want to deal with somebody's sin and you want to point it out and if you want to kick them out of the church, this is the passage you go to. And, and, I'm, and I want to tell you that that's the wrong view of this passage. That is not what this passage is meant for. Um, if, you, if you look at it in context, it's not about how to separate but rather how to restore and reconcile and preserve the unity of Christ. And just, it's going to be, it's Matthew 18 beginning with verse 15, and the verses right above there. If you look at what Jesus is talking about, he tells the parable of the lost sheep. And what does he do with that sheep? There's a sheep that's wandered away. What does Jesus do? He goes after it. Why? So that he can bring it home. Why? To cook it and eat it? No. That's not why he goes after the sheep. He goes after because he cares about the sheep. He wants it to be healthy and to be restored back with the rest of the fold, back with the fellowship. He doesn't like, the shepherd does not like the separation that's between him and the sheep. So this this passage, then he tells what we're going to get into, Matthew 18, verse 15. Let's look at that through the lens of restoration, through the lens of reconciliation and preserving unity. Matthew 18, verse 15 says, Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So notice in verse 15, there's something that Jesus is doing here from the get-go. Number one, he's trying to keep the circle small. When there's a conflict, you gotta remember, keep the circle as small as you can for as long as you can. Secondly, Jesus is not, when he's talking about going to someone with sin, he's not talking about a sin that you can overlook. Last week we talked about that, that there's times that, that you can overlook a sin. Proverbs 19.11 says this, Good sense makes one slow to anger. Good sense. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. There's times that, that someone has offended us, they've insulted us, or they're just plain getting on your nerves. And in those cases, we're called to overlook it. For example, I'm going to give you a couple of examples of what that looks like. Have you ever been sitting in a room, studying, reading, and someone comes in with a bowl of crunchy cereal? <laughs> <coughs> <coughs> or <sniffs> sits there and sniffs, sniffs and you're you're trying... Does anyone know what I'm talking about? You're trying, it's like, ugh. Or they forget to, to raise a toilet seat roommate, or... Put the lid on the toothpaste, or you know they come home and they forgot to pick up that one item you needed at the grocery store, overlooking that. Or maybe they unintentionally insult you. If you've ever had a an infant, you've got them in the the what's that thing called stroller, and someone comes up, oh she is so cute, and it's your son, and you're like they're dressed in blue. I mean, come on, what we you know that's I mean you can't tell, but. They unintentionally insult you. There's times that that happened. Or maybe it's a little bit more serious. Someone just doesn't realize what you've been doing for them, how much you've been laying your life down for them, and all they seem to be able to do is keep complaining about whatever it is in their life, and you have just poured yourself out. And so there's times that, you know, you don't, you just, I'm going to overlook that. But then there's times that you can't. Sometimes... There are times, and we talked about this last week, that someone is sinning in a way that, number one, maybe it's it's damaging God's name. Or number two, it's bringing injury to you. It could be bringing injury to someone that you know that you need to step in and help, or it could be them injuring themselves. In, at any case, it's always damaging God's name when we sin, but sometimes it's, it's, it's in a way that you just can't overlook it. And it's in these cases that we need to go to that person. Okay, so we've sought to glorify God in this. Man, I want to do what was going to glorify God. You've checked your heart. I've gotten the log out of my own eye. As much as I know, there might be some more logs in there that I don't even see. Uh, that's going to happen in just a minute. And so you're going to gently go to your neighbor. This is what Jesus instructs, isn't it? Why am I sharing this this morning? Because Jesus has taught us to do this. So I want to make sure that I'm clear about that. So Jesus instructs us to go in private. He says, go and tell him or her their fault between you and him alone. Now, why why are we supposed to go in private? Well, first of all, I want to make sure that that means go face-to-face if possible. In private means to go face to where you can see the person and talk. Uh, I think one of the most cowardly things that we can do is put a, a social media post and rant and rave about somebody, um, somebody and everybody knows you're upset about something and you're hoping that that person's going to read it and go, oh my, oh, I've, I've that never happens, does it? it that's, that's not the way. I also don't in- encourage you to send texts uh, or, or email the person when you have an issue. Now, you might need to do that to say, hey, I'd love to get together with you and talk about what I did the other day can we get together and talk that way? Uh, Be careful that you don't send it, hey, can we get together and not tell them what it is? Have you ever had that where it's like, what what do they want to get together with me? Do they want to give me a million dollars? I don't ever think about they want to give me a million dollars. It's like they want to tell me something I've done. So try not to tempt the other person. Go in person, face-to-face if possible. It's it's, it's extremely important that we go face-to-face if at all possible. Now, um, and, and the reason you don't want to write and give text is because it's hard to understand inflection, isn't it, or tone. What do you mean by the way you're saying that to me? So face-to-face, if possible. Now, I want to give two exceptions to that rule, or three exceptions. If you're in a situation that you are maybe addressing someone's child, do not go alone to that child. Take the parent with you. Do not overstep your boundaries in an area that that's not your position. So parents are... Uh, the ones that we need to go to and go through in order to go to a child, if there's an issue that needs to be resolved. Secondly, the person that you might be going to might be able, might be one that would dominate you. They might have a uh, be more verbally skilled, and they can spin things around on you and, and twist things and and, and confuse you. Or they might also be a person that's in authority over you. Uh, in those cases, I'm not recommending that you necessarily go alone. Probably shouldn't. Or it might be the second uh, situation. In that is where someone has uh, abused someone mentally or physically, and the abuser, if they're left alone, they will seek to silence the individual. So in those cases, I, w- I would do not recommend uh, for you to go alone. In that, in those cases, it, it might be it, it is wise to bring in um, people that you trust that can go with you and sit down. And talk so, but in everyday run-of-the-mill conflicts that we have, Jesus is saying, "Go first in private." And the question I would ask is, "Why? Why does He say that?" Well, I want to I want to remind us that number one, the goal that we are trying to accomplish in addressing conflict is what—to win your brother or sister. You want to win them, not conquer them. And remember, something has come between you and that individual that is keeping you from having unity in Christ. And you don't want to offend them by just kind of standing up in front of the whole church and, and, and just sharing it to everybody, right? That's going to humiliate them. Proverbs 18, 19 talks about not offending your brother. It says, a brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city. And quarreling is like the bars of a castle. We go in private because we don't want to humiliate the individual. We don't want them to to throw up unyielding bars. And then reconciliation just is not going to happen. And if there's one thing that we learn in the gospel, Jesus is not out to humiliate the sheep. More than not, he wants to address us in private. If we'll deal with it in private, he we move forward. There's been times that there's been situations where I know God was speaking to me in private and I didn't deal with it. And guess what happened? It got public. Why? So that Jesus can humiliate me? No, because he wants to win me. So, but we want to go in private because number one, the goal is to win your brother or sister. Secondly, it's because only God is omniscient. Only God knows everything. Only God sees things as they really are. And you want to go in private because you could be wrong about what you're seeing. You could be missing it. And James talks about this in the book of James. He says this, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Isn't it usually the, the reverse? I'm slow to anger. I mean, I'm quick to anger. I'm quick to speak. And then I'll listen. I'll say, okay, do you have anything you want to say now? James says, don't go that way. Start out listening. Be slow to speak. Be slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Proverbs eighteen thirteen says, he who gives an answer before he hears... It is folly and shame to him. If you've not spoken to the person, you don't know everything. And it's easy to misunderstand situations. It's easy to misinterpret what has happened with our limited data. And the problem is, though, with me and probably with many of you, is that we think we have this sixth sense. You know what I'm talking about? That sense that allows... Steve, I know what you're thinking right now. I know what you're thinking. I can just tell. And and, and and I know, Jacob, I know why you did that. I know your motive. So I know your heart. I know your motive. I really know what I would have done if I did it the way you I'm really basing it upon myself. But I, ha- I act like I have this sixth sense. We like to spiritualize it. We like to call it, I've got this intuition. When, when You know what the Bible calls it? Speculation. It says, don't walk in speculation. Do not walk in what you don't know. And so with limited and incomplete information, we often make judgments about the other person, and it's usually not good, is it? Especially when we're in a conflict. It's usually the worst reason why that person did what they did or why you think about that person. And um, it's like when you get a text or don't get a text. Have you ever texted someone and they didn't text you back? Yes. Have you, anyone ever texted you and you didn't text them back? Yes. Well, a few weeks ago, there was a, a somebody in our church. We were I was trying to set up lunch with them, and, and I texted them. Well, actually, we talked about it here. I said, let's meet on this day at this time. And uh, so I texted them, and uh, I needed to go from 11 o'clock to 11.30. And so I texted them and said, hey, can we move to 11.30? No response. And I mean, the clock is ticking, and I'm like, Why did they not respond back to me? So I called them, and they immediately answered. I said, hey, it's 1130. Yeah, that's great. So uh, everyone's like, is this me? Is this me? So we sit down, and we're just eating. And I'm like, hey, man, did you, why didn't you respond to my text? And you know what he said? I did. I was like, no, you didn't. And you know, that's where you pull. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. So you look at it, and then he pulled his phone out. He didn't touch it and, like, send one real quick. He showed me, and there was this, and actually, this is what happened. We started talking. I was like, I've texted you like several weeks ago and didn't get a response. He goes, I respond? And his phone was not coming back to mine. Why? Because he has an Android. (laughs) Conflict, feel it? So anyway, my point is I'm not omniscient. But if I was, I would have known that. God knew that but I didn't. And it was not a big conflict. We kicked him out of the church and he's, you know, we dealt with it. But we have to fight. Listen, and I'm so serious about this though. We have to fight against the sixth sense. You don't got one. You really don't. Um, Especially when it's that one that divides you from your brothers and sisters. Only God is omniscient. So when we sit down, We need to go with humility, knowing that, man, I might be wrong in this. I might not be seeing this rightly. And what do you do? You sit down and ask questions. Don't go in there. You did this. You ask questions. Hey, when you said this, what, what did you mean? And then listen to understand. Not listen so, you know, while they're talking, okay, Listen. Try to understand the other person. This is extremely important if we're going to c- preserve the unity in Christ. We have got to ask questions, not assume. We have to to listen with with understanding. Don't interrupt. Um, remember, the goal is to win the brother and to understand that, man, I might be wrong in this. So, number number three, why why we go in private would be this: they might be unaware of what you're upset about or what, you, what the conflict is. Um, often those who have offended us are oblivious to our struggle. While we're, you know, up spending sleepless nights pacing the floor and, and just kind of dealing with our wound, they're back at home in their beds snoring the night away. And, you know, the, the thing about it is it's not that they are trying to hurt you or hurt me. It's literally that the, the situation that you're dealing with is not on their radar. We've got to remember that. There are times that, that we are unaware, and that happens both ways, doesn't it? Where, where you're just not aware of what you've done, and that person is not aware of what they have done to you. And and more times than not, if we will go with these these first three steps where you go, you go to um, glorify God, you get the log out of your eye, and you go and say, hey, you know when you said such and such to me, do you realize that it did this to me? How many times does that person go, what are you? Oh, man, I am so sorry. It, it can be, boom, finished just like that, and the the, uh, the barrier is taken away, and the unity is brought together. If we walk in the right spirit. And Jesus says that if you get together with someone and they listen to you, in other words, you're able to both, this is important, you're both able to agree on a resolution then you have gained your brother. You have gained your brother or sister. Boom, it's over. And you move forward in unity. But what if you don't agree? And that's where verse 16 comes in. Jesus says, but if he does not listen, in other words, the conflict is not resolved. Maybe they don't agree with you. No, I'm not wrong in this. You're seeing it wrong. Um. He says, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So Jesus right here is, he's referencing the Old Testament law where it was prohibited for an individual to make an accusation, just one person and to condemn another individual. There had to be two or three witnesses. And when you do this, you need to understand that the goals are still the same. You want to glorify God. The goal is to, when the brother or sister, and you have to remember, you still could be wrong. I don't know how many times um, I've had a conflict with someone, and I thought I was right, and I brought, okay, and we couldn't agree on it, and so we brought, I'm going to be clear here, me and my wife have had issues sometimes, okay, and we couldn't agree on it, and we brought other people in, and the one bringing the accusation had to go, you know what, you're right, I'm wrong, it wasn't you, it's me. You still could be wrong in this situation. When you bring two or three with you, it could be that you that you have seen it wrongly. Now, um, if we're gonna get others involved, it's it's important, this is what, why it's important that we have a healthy gospel-centered church. This is why it's important that we are all growing in, in Christ and in, in his word, because there are gonna be times that that if we get close to each other, we're going to have conflict. There's going to be times that we, we go to each other individually and one party's not seeing it the same, and we're going to need to help each other. And in that situation, you need to find someone that you trust, that both of you trust, if possible. Someone that's impartial. Someone that you know loves both of you equally. Um, someone that has a maturity and that can facilitate the conversation. And I would, you're still trying to keep the circle as small as possible. You haven't, we're not trying to take this to the church. We're taking this to people that we know that that we can trust, that can keep their mouths shut on this situation, and that can help facilitate us, can help figure out what this thing is between us, and hopefully we can all be humble enough to resolve it. Now, if someone, on the other hand, is recruiting you, have you ever been recruited by someone? They're just telling you about that other person. What should you do when someone says, man, I want to tell you what so-and-so did to me? First thing you should, should do is stop them and say, hey, listen, before you say anything else, have you talked to that person about this? Well, no. Well, then you need to go. Jesus teaches us, I, don't come to me. You need to go to that person and talk about it. Um, but if they say, yes, I have, another thing would be, don't tell me the whole thing yet. I want to sit down and, and let you both Tell me the situation. Don't tell me your side. Because you know what Proverbs eighteen seventeen says? It says that the first to state his case seems right. Isn't that so true? If you ever been talking to someone, they're just giving you their case, and it's like, man, I can't believe they did that. Then you sit down with the other party, and you realize, okay, no, it's not, exa- you're wounded, so you're seeing it this certain way, but that's not at all what's happened here. There's always two sides to a story, and there are times when that person who uh, feels offended actually is wrong about their offense. And, and so, again, we have to realize that uh, we could be wrong in the assessment and Jesus is saying bring two or three more that, that it can be confirmed that this actually is a situation that needs to be dealt with. So, verse 17, Jesus says, If he refuses to listen to them, So the person you sit down with, that person, they don't listen to you. You bring others, they don't listen to them. They're they're agreeing with you. He says, tell it to the church. Bring it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, this is the the, the last uh, step. This is the worst-case scenario when the church has to get uh, involved in a situation to address an, an individual who is clearly in sin, um, they are unwilling to repent of their sin. They are willfully walking in that sin. And not only that, they're justifying it. They're saying, actually, this is not sin, and God would want me to. But it's clearly, biblically, the, you see it, the group sees it, the church sees it. And Jesus says, what does he say to them? He says, go to them, and let him be to you as, as, a Gentile and a tax collector. Notice the word as. He doesn't say that person isn't saved. He says treat them as if they were not saved, as if they are not in the fellowship of believers. And how do you treat an unbeliever? Can someone, how do you treat an unbeliever? Love, you love them, right? You love them. Now, what is love? Now we have to define that. We love. Sometimes it means that we have to point out you're going in the wrong direction. That's love. When someone's going in the wrong direction, that's love. It's not seen that a lot of times, but we love them, and we proclaim the gospel to them, and we don't pretend like nothing's going on, and and that uh, they're in a right standing with the Lord. And it may mean and and um, that you you have to withdraw certain church membership privileges. It might mean that uh, for this season. Until you repent, we can't allow you to, to take of the Lord's table. Um, or if they're in church leadership, it might mean that they need to step down for a season. or if they're being disruptive to the entire body or they're hurting someone in, in the body, there might be a time where you have to to not allow them to come to the gathering. Now I know these things sound uh, this may seem seem um, harsh, but we, we've got to understand who told us to do this. Number one, this is the Lord's teaching, right? Secondly, we got to remember what the reason is for. It's we ultimately we want restoration. There's and there's times that a strained brother or sister will not understand the seriousness of their sin, and they cannot be won unless the the hand of fellowship is withdrawn. and And I want to say that uh, I've been a part of this type of discipline before, and it it is not something that is. Uh, enjoyable. It's not something that uh, we look forward to doing. It's done with tears. It's done with uh, I love, I want there to be fellowship with us. Uh, It's done slowly. It's it's not, this is, I mean, this is a long process. This is not something that's done just like that. Uh, But Jesus has said, I've got to protect my flock. And this is the final step in that, in conflict. If someone is unwilling to resolve their sin, but the good news about all this is that it doesn't have to be like this. Um, if, if our goal is to stay united in Christ, then number one, we will seek to glorify God when we're in a conflict. We will uh, seek to remove the log out of our eye if we're in at fault. And then we will seek to gently restore. We'll go to the individual gently, ask questions, try to understand it, get, try to get that thing removed. And then the last one, Uh, that I want to, the last G is to go and be reconciled. And this involves confession and forgiveness. Confession and forgiveness. Now, when you confess something, you know what that means? It means that you agree. It means that you acknowledge. It means that you own something. If you're confessing your sin, you're agreeing. Yes, I sinned in that area. Yes, I own what I did. Yes, it was my fault. I'm Taking responsibility for it. Let me give some words of caution when you're confessing. Uh, number one, don't use the words if, but, or maybe. Don't don't use those words because it weakens your confession and it minimizes what your guilt is. It goes like this: You're right. I'm sorry if I hurt you. But if you weren't so sensitive, maybe we would have never gotten into this conflict in the first place. You see how that does not feel like a good confession? What did you do in that situation? What did I just do? I turned it around. I said, it's your fault we're in this conflict. It's your fault that you got hurt. But yeah, I was wrong. That conflict has just gotten bigger, hasn't it? So don't use the words if if. But or maybe. Secondly, be specific. When you are addressing your sin, be specific about uh, what you did. Let acknowledge you, that you understand your part in the conflict. and Let them know that you know what you did. And if if they're like, no, that's not it, then just keep at, keep trying to understand what it is that you that you did. Um, and and when you when you confess your sin, you say, you know, I realize that when I called you a cotton-headed ninny-muggins, I know that hurts you. And uh, I just ask that you would forgive me of that. Um, I will try not to do that again. But you need to be specific in what you did. Why? Because as the more specific we are, the more we own our sin, we're able to clean out the wound. We're, we're able to really Help that person see. I really understand what I did. I really did sin against you, and I really want to make it right. I I, I want. I don't want this to be a part of our relationship. So you confess, and then you extend. The person that will sin against extends forgiveness, and forgiveness is involves canceling a debt. Right when Jesus forgave us, He canceled our debt. Luke 17. Uh, 3 through 4 says, pay attention to, to yourselves. Now, Jesus, this is Jesus speaking. He's, he tells his church to pay attention. In other words, he's saying conflict can come from nowhere. Pay attention. Don't let it just sneak up on you. If, But if your brother sins, rebuke him or correct him. Do what we were just talking about. Go to them. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns you to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Don't you love that? It depends on which one of those people you are in that verse. If you're the one that's sinning seven times, yes. Oh, thank you. If you're the one that's having to extend it, oh, it can be difficult, can't it? Um, And maybe you're sitting here going, I can't do that. Uh, you have no idea. You're, as, you're, as I'm sitting here talking, you're thinking about somebody that has hurt you, and it's, it's a deep wound. It's not you know, one of those, I said something I shouldn't, you know, that was kind of up here. I said something that I shouldn't have, or I did something. You've been um, abused by someone. There, there's a lot of things in conflict and, and, and uh, pain that you may be experiencing as I'm sitting here, and you're like, there is no way that uh, I can forgive that person. And the truth is, you're right. Um, Humanly speaking, what I'm talking about is that we can't do this without the supernatural help of God, without the supernatural help of the Holy Spirit. I know people that have gone through things that are just horrific and thought that they could never, ever forgive that person. But then there's Colossians 3, verse 13, which tells us bear with each other. Forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. And then here's the key. Here's how. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That, that's the key right there. People that I've talked to that have been hurt and harmed, as they've begun to, to look at this, how has God forgiven me? As they begin to realize what God has done for them, that's the key to unlocking forgiveness. Now, if you've come to Christ and and you want um, uh, and He lives in you and you've been forgiven, there's one thing that your new heart says. It says this: I want to glorify God. I want God to be glorified in my life. And you know what most glorifies God? And you might be thinking, what? When I forgive my brother or my sister? And I'm no, I mean it does, but that's not the first thing. The first thing that glorifies God is when people take Him up on his offer of forgiveness. Did you know that that is the greatest thing that glorifies God when we believe God? So what does he do? He comes to us in our sin. He sent his son down. He came to us in our sin and he he said, hey, look, there's something in between us, rebellion. And and I don't like this. So look, if you'll confess this, that, that you've sinned against me, if you'll confess that there's an issue here. Now, God doesn't have any log to take out of his eye, right? The innocent has come down to the guilty. He says, look, if you'll take uh, ownership of this, if you'll confess it, my son died for, the, for what you deserve, for what you did. And I will pour out my mercy upon you, my forgiveness. I will cleanse you of this sin. I will remember, he says, I will remember it no more. Not that he like suddenly can't remember something. He says, I choose not to remember it. I choose not to bring it back up. So he holds it out to us, right? Jesus on the cross, what did he say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now, was everyone forgiven in the world when Jesus hung on the cross? No, but salvation was made available to anyone who would come and repent of their sins and receive that forgiveness. So there is a part in in receiving forgiveness. It is not that God just forgives everyone and we move on. There is a response where we have to acknowledge our sin and in in that, um, we take responsibility. We don't use if, we don't use maybe, we don't use but, we say, yes, Lord, you are right. I have sinned against you and I'm coming home. And what does God do? Immediately, he washes us clean, he cancels the debt and we begin 70 times seven, he forgives us. If we're having problems forgiving one another. And we do, when I have a problem forgiving someone, you know why? It is. It's because I've forgotten how much I've been forgiven of. And here, it's, there's something powerful. There's something that's, I'm going to use the word mysterious because I don't really understand how it works. But when I meditate on what I uh, have done to God and what he's done to me, it's like everyone else's sins, like that's nothing compared Now, I don't want to make light of of, of your injury. Don't hear me saying that. But compared to God, what I've done to God, mine stacks up to the heavens. And God is willing to forgive us. This week during missional communities, our small groups, Terry and I plan to go deeper into this topic of forgiveness, of confession. What does that really look like between us? I don't have time to really go into it. So I want to encourage you on Tuesday nights, we meet here at 630. On Thursday nights, they meet 630 on Zoom. But I want to encourage you, We're gonna, by God's grace, we plan to go deeper into what forgiveness is. And I, and I want to give three things real quick that it's not it's not a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice. Um, it's also not forgetting what happened. It's not like you don't remember what happened. You still can remember what happened, but you choose to not dwell on it. When you choose not to bring up past failures when someone's repented of it. And then the last one, it's not uh, excusing someone's actions. Forgiveness is not going, ah, you didn't really do anything. No, we're saying, yes, you did something. But the other person is saying, yeah, I agree. Will you forgive me? And you, because Christ forgave us, yes, I will forgive you. In other words, you do unto others as Christ has done unto you. And this glorifies God. Amen? Amen.